We're going to read God's word together. Why don't you turn to Psalm 119? I'm going to read um, the next verses. So we're going to read um, Daleth. This is the fourth stanza of Psalm 119, reading from verse 25 through to verse 22. And yes, my glasses are on. My eyesight is quickly going downhill. Can't read my Bible anymore without my glasses. Psalm 119, verse 25 to 32. This is God's word. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. I recounted, your, uh, I recounted my ways and you answered me. Teach me your decrees. Let me understand the teaching of your precepts. Then I will meditate on your wonders. My soul is weary with sorrow. Strengthen me according to your word. Keep me from deceitful ways. Be gracious to me through your law. I have chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord. Do not let me be put to shame. I run in the path of your commands, for you have set my heart free. Amen. We thank God for his word. The Puritan um, Thomas Manton apparently wrote and preached 190 sermons on Psalm 119. 190. So how on earth do we navigate a poem, the magnitude of Psalm 119. Well, we're trying our best, aren't we? We're going through it stanza by stanza each week. Um, during the month of August, we've been going through Psalm 119. This is the last week, by the way, of Psalm 119 for this summer. We're going to pick it up again. Remember, next summer, we'll get back in to Psalm 119. And then the summer after that, and then the summer after that, and the summer after that, we're going to go at this for about the next six or seven summers. Um, and in like 2028 or something like that, we'll have finished, hopefully, Psalm 119 and all of its 176 verses. But I hope it's been good for you. Hope it's been challenging so far. Hope you're being encouraged, blessed by what we're hearing as we open up God's Word and as we hear about God's Word and how good God's Word is for us as His people. So week four um, of Psalm 119, we're exploring the rich heights and the, the den dense depths of this um, poem. This stanza that we're in this morning, stanza four or daleth, um, is the Hebrew letter that, that represents this portion of the psalm. Some scholars would say about this letter, Daleth, that it's, it means door or doorway. Um, and some would even suggest that the symbol looks a little bit like a door um, in how it's formed as a letter. I don't want to put too much emphasis upon that. Actually, I don't know whether we can read too much into that. But what I do think, I do think that, that this part of the psalm is in many ways like a door for us. There is a, a sense in this moment of, of an opportunity for us to pass through into something beautiful, 
into something delightful. It almost is a moment in the psalm that is a door that, that we need to open and walk through, that the Lord is really teaching us something very, very important. He's doing that the whole way through this psalm, but in many ways, this moment is an opportunity. There's a, a transition for the psalmist. There is a door that, that he has an opportunity to, to open and enter into, once again, the delight of the Lord. In these verses of, of um, in this portion of Psalm 119, the theme of suffering and the struggles of the poet continues. If you were here last week, we talked about, about the struggles that he had been facing, that he was suffering at the hands of other people who were against him in life. He's experienced arrogant people who reject God and, and God's ways, who don't want to have anything to do with the word of the Lord. The psalmist has been suffering. Life has been really hard for him. He's finding it distressful. But he's attempting to keep the God's word. The poet keeps going back to the source. He wants to live God's ways. He wants to live in obedience to his heavenly father, whose word is for him, whose word is for his flourishing. Remember, he had been slandered by people. Religious leaders in high places had slandered him. Life had become difficult. And maybe for you, and we're very aware, as we gather to pray each morning before, before you all come in, we know that some of you will come in and you'll be suffering in life. Life will be really hard for you. It might be because of illness. It might be because of bereavement. It might be because of your mental health. It might be because of a family situation or an employment situation or a work colleague or something that's going on in your life that, that we probably know nothing about. Life might be very, very difficult for you. And so this portion in the psalm, we believe, really speaks in to the suffering that we experience as human beings. Remember last week, we said we're human. We struggle, we suffer. We sometimes long for more of God's presence. We long to hear his voice. We long to walk in obedience and in his ways. But as humans, we struggle we find it hard. There are days that our faith feels really, really low. And so I want you to, uh, this morning as we approach these verses, I want you to see a door in front of you, wherever you're at in life. I want you to see a door, a path. And I, I want to open that for us. I want us to see that there is a path through all of our hardships that we experience here on earth. So this, the theme of suffering continues in these verses. And I want you to look at verse 25 because the poet says in verse 25, he says, I am laid low in the dust. I am laid low in the dust. Preserve my life according to your word. Now, in the poet's day, to say that you're laid low in the dust, that that's as bad as it can get in life, okay? He is face down in the dust He's really struggling. He's not just struggling a little bit. To speak of being laid low in the dust was not a good place to be. He was not in a good place. All right, this is not the kind of um, nicey-nicey bits um, you know, that we sometimes come across in the Bible. This is a really dark moment. He's low. He's in the dust. To speak of the dust was to speak of a place of, of feeling near to death, almost, to feel like life itself was slipping away from you. He's in the dust. 
He's in the dirt and the grime of life. He feels near to death. He, he senses the sadness that weighs in upon him, that weighs heavily over him. He feels a sense of mourning in life, like maybe there's stuff being lost. He's lost something. He's lost something. He's struggling. He's low in spirit. He is in the dust. I'm going to go back to the, the New King James Version because it puts it like this. In the New King James Version, he says this, my soul clings to the dust. There's a word in there that kind of means like he's clinging. He's clinging to the dust. He's scrambling about in, in the dust of his life. But then um, verse 31, and this is what I want us to note because verse 31 in the New King James, it puts it like this. I cling to your testimonies. So there's a movement of the poet in these verses. At the beginning of this short stanza, he's clinging to the dust. He's down low, but then at the end of these few short verses, his heart has changed. Something has shifted. He's no longer clinging to the dust. He says, God, I'm clinging to your testimonies. I'm clinging to your promises. I've been lifted from the dust. I'm no longer clinging to that. I'm clinging to you and your word and your promises that are for me in this life. But what's the journey? How has the psalmist, the poet, gone from clinging to the dust, facing the dirt, to clinging to the testimonies of God? What is the path? What is the journey? What is the shift? We're looking at two very different postures here of the heart, a clinging to the dust and a clinging to the testimonies of God. What's the shift? Well, I want us to, to go through this door. I want us to walk through this door and down the path that the poet takes us on this morning. Because we could say that this path is a, a journey towards inner spiritual revival or renewal. The poet has been renewed. He's been revived in his heart. Look at verse 25. My soul clings to the dust. Revive me, he says, according to your word. And so the door, the path, is a path to spiritual renewal or revival, a lifting of the heart, a lifting of the head. Maybe you just need that today. It's my delight to bring this to you. It's my delight to open up God's word. It's my delight to help open that door, to help us walk down a path that leads to something beautiful as God leads us there. Okay, you're gonna journey with me to that place. Two big understandings before we get into this. Number one, I think we need to understand the heart of God. We need to know the heart of God. I'm going to remind you of that in a moment or two. The heart of God is to take us from the dust to delight in his name. That's the heart of God. The second thing I think we need to understand, and we see this all over this psalm, it is the responsibility of God's people. So we believe in the heart of God who takes us from the dust to delight in his name, but we also have a responsibility as his people to actively pursue him and his ways. So the heart of God, let's be reminded of the heart of God this morning. Isaiah 61, brilliant moment in the scriptures where the prophet prophesied what Jesus would one day fulfill. Listen to these words that take us to a delight in the Lord. Isaiah 61, the sovereign, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives 
and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them, remember this, a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. Can you hear the heart of God? They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Can you hear the heart of God? In in Isaiah 61, we serve and we worship a God who exchanges our ashes for beauty. Beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning. I wonder, is your heart heavy with mourning this morning? Well, our God can can exchange your mourning for joy. He can. We believe that he can do that. Praise in place of despair. Worship in the place of worry. It's the heart of God. It's the heart of our Father. What about Psalm 30? Psalm 30, verse 5, the psalmist writes, Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Weeping may stay for the night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. Or verses 11 and 12 on down in Psalm 30, you turned my wailing into dancing. Some of you were just dying to shout that out. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth. It's a symbol of mourning, symbol of sadness brokenness. You remove my sackcloth and clothe me with joy. It's the heart of God that my heart may sing your praises and not be silent. Lord my God, I will praise you forever. It's why we can come into the house of the Lord and worship his name. It's why we can enter into his presence and our worry somehow gives way to worship in the presence of God. This is who he is. I could go on and on and on talking about the heart of God. God who lifts us from the dust and brings us into a place of delight in his name. I want us to once again step into that belief that that is who he is. That's the heart of our God. He can give us, he can bestow upon us beauty for ashes. He can do that. He removes despair and he clothes us with his joy. He can turn our wailing Have you ever wailed, cried in heartache? You can turn that into dancing. Imagine who's going to dance in the house of the Lord. He can turn our worry into worship to who he is. You know, if I didn't believe all of that about my God, about our God, I would not be standing here right now. I wouldn't be doing it. I wouldn't be preaching about how great I think God is. In fact, how how great I know him to be. I wouldn't be doing it. This is the heart of God. He can take us from the dust moments of our lives and he can place us once again into a place of delight. It's who he is. It's who he is. It's what he wants to do in our lives. So the psalmist in this moment, he's in the dust, but there's a journey, there's a movement towards a delight once again in the testimonies, the promises of God. But here's a really important thing. And it's the second thing I think we need to understand in this moment. 
It's the responsibility of God's people. We see that in this moment. There's a responsibility upon us. It really struck me as I studied hard this week, as I looked at this psalm, as I looked at these verses, this really caught my attention. See, the poet isn't just rolling over in the dust and staying there. All right, he's not just laid low in the dust and that's it. I'm here for the duration. It's gonna lie here and roll about in the dust of life. There's something resolute in his heart. There's something really resolute. There's a steadfastness that we see in this moment and it causes him to take action. Or another way to put it, he takes responsibility for his own life, for his own spiritual well-being. He takes responsibility. There's a movement of his own life. There's a motivation within him. There's a resoluteness, a steadfastness, and he moves towards the Lord again. You know, we believe in the sovereignty of God. As Presbyterians, we better believe in that. The sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. In other words, he... He is the ultimate source of all power and authority. I want you to agree with me in a moment that we believe this, okay? He's the ultimate source of all power and authority over everything that exists. Do we believe that? Okay, good. We're a people who believe in the sovereignty of God. He's sovereign, all-powerful over all things. He is the power. Our God has the wisdom. Our God has the strength, the authority to do whatever he chooses within his creation. He's over it all. He's sovereign. And so we rest in his sovereignty. We believe in God's sovereignty, but we also believe, now listen really carefully, because this is important. We also believe in human responsibility. That we have a human responsibility for our own spiritual well-being. And it's hard. It's hard to be disciplined, isn't it? Anyone find it hard to be disciplined? You're so holy. You're so good. I knew that's why I came here. I was going to be in the presence of saints. God's sovereignty is not an excuse. We believe in it, but it's not an excuse for our lack of human responsibility for our own spirituality, our own spiritual walk with the Lord. There will be times in our lives when we can do nothing but pray, where we can do nothing but trust in the sovereign hand of God. You know those moments, um, those kind of let go and let God moments? You know those moments where it's like, I can't do anything, God, I'm, I'm at a dead end, I am done unless you step in. I cannot do anything else. And we're like, God, I'm letting go and I'm letting you work. There are moments that we get to that point. That's okay. We step into the sovereign reign of God and we're like, God, you have this. I trust you. I'm letting go because I can't do anymore. There are those moments where we trust God to work things out for us. But we also believe, and this is the really important bit, we also believe that where possible and where necessary, we, we trust in the sovereign hand of God that he has us, he holds us, he will never leave us. But we also 
take very seriously our human responsibility to seek him, to go after him in his heart, to tend to what's within us, to intentionally seek the Lord. So we have a very important week coming up. You'll have heard all about this. It's called Ignition Week. You're maybe sitting there thinking, why ignition's a bit weird? Well, without ignition, a car engine will not start. Or to use a more extreme and perhaps more exciting example, a rocket. By the way, we, I saw a rocket take off in Florida this summer. Ran outside and just happened to see it at that moment as it was going up into the sky. It's the kind of stuff that happens in Orlando. Um, it's pretty, pretty cool for that sort of thing. But whether it's a car or whether it's a rocket, without an ignition, there will be no liftoff. There will be no movement. There will be no momentum forward into the sky or um, out into the road. Now, I'll let you decide whether you think Carmoney Church is like a car or more like a space rocket. There are definitely some rockets among us. <laughs> but this week that we're setting aside, this ignition week is being set aside for us to ignite or to reignite within our hearts our spiritual engine to ask the Lord to set us on fire. God, let us burn. Spirit of God, be the fuel within our beings that we need. Come and do what you alone can do. Fuel our engine, Spirit of God, fire us up. Give us a passion like never before because we know we cannot do this without you. We could, it's quite possible, isn't it, to take off again for another year, for the Carmoney rocket to take off into the sky without the engines firing properly. Does that make sense? Maybe it's just me. It's quite possible for that to happen, for activity, 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 and program, program, program to kick in again. It's all coming. I get the emails. I get the invites. It's all coming. Everything's lifting off again. The rocket will be in the sky soon. It's quite possible, but for, for us to go ahead and engage in everything for another year without properly, without properly igniting the engine within us, without properly asking for the Lord to set our hearts on fire. Let's use that week to fire us up, to get our engines in proper shape, Let's go about it with proper spiritual intention. Let's trust God's sovereign hand, by the way, over the year ahead. We, we trust what God is going to do, don't we? We know he's with us. We know he's going to work. But let's take responsibility for our approach to that. Let's take responsibility, whoever we are, that we're going to get our heart in a place that is right before the Lord as we're called again back into the work that he has for us. So in the mystery of the kingdom of God, and I hope you're still with me, in the mystery of the kingdom of God, God's sovereignty and our human responsibility work together. God uses us as we take responsibility, as we seek him with all of our hearts. God works. His sovereign plan works itself out in and through us. St. Augustine captured it so well in those often quoted words where he said, pray as though everything depended on God 
but work as though everything depended on you. He said it again. Pray as though everything depended on God, and we do, but we work and we serve in such a way that we realize that it's not going to happen without us. God's going to work in and through us. He's going to use us. Nehemiah chapter 4. I'm going to, if you want to turn there, you can, if you're following um, in your Bible this morning. Nehemiah chapter 4 is a superb Old Testament example of this. Nehemiah and the people of God begin the work of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. In the face of great persecution, by the way, the walls begin to be rebuilt, but there is massive persecution. God's people are under threat. There's great danger north, south, east, and west. But Nehemiah, in that moment, he cries out to God that God would hear him, that God would hear him on behalf of the people. But as Nehemiah does that, opposition grows even stronger. Um, He experiences the people of God, experience great, great trouble. Trouble is stirred up against God's people and against the city of Jerusalem. But we read that Nehemiah continues to pray to God for help. Because Nehemiah knows that it's the Lord's sovereign hand that is upon them. He knows that they can't go on without God holding them, without the Lord going before uh, before them, that they were in the hands of a sovereign God. He knew he had to cry out to God. But verse 14, Nehemiah preaches to the people and he says, don't be afraid of them. Don't be afraid of the north, south, east, west attack. And he says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. There's sovereignty right there. Remember the Lord, who is great and awesome. But then he says, and fight for your families. Fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. Do you know what? I actually wasn't going to say anything about that. I just sense in my spirit, just as I've read that, that maybe there's someone here who needs to fight. You need to fight for your family. In the place of prayer, the enemy's got a foothold. You need to fight for your family. Your sons and your daughters. Your wives your husbands, your homes. Maybe you're sitting here and you're like, that's me. I need to fight for my family. I need the Lord to fight for my family. Maybe if that is you, you feel that in your heart and that's heavy, go and pray with someone after our service this morning. Please do that. But we read as we go on in Nehemiah, there's this incredible thing that happens. Half the people worked on the rebuilding of the walls. Okay, picture it. Half of God's people worked on the rebuilding of the walls while the other half stood ready for war. Spears in hand, swords in hand, ready to go and fight. But here's the bit that really got me. Verses 17 and 18 of chapter 4 of Nehemiah. We read this. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and they held a weapon in the other. They did their work with one hand. They had a trial or a a shovel in one hand. They had a sword or a spear in the other hand. 
goes on to say that they worked from dawn to dusk. They worked, they worked, they worked. It actually says they never even changed their clothes. Such was the work that they put themselves to. They didn't even get dressed. They did not even freshen up. You see, they trusted in the Lord and in his awesome sovereign power. Remember the Lord and his great and awesome deeds. But these people took great human responsibility, didn't they? They were ready to fight. They were building they were prepared, they were working, they were alert, they were ready, they weren't resting, they were seeking the Lord, they were relying on the sovereign hand of God, but they were taking great human responsibility for all that God had in front of them. We see this in the life of Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, the God-man. As the Son of God approached the cross, Jesus completely relied on the sovereign hand of God, his Father. What did Jesus pray in Gethsemane? Not my will, but yours be done. Your sovereign hand is upon me, Lord. But then the Son of God took himself to the cross. He went there. He could have had a, an army of angels protect him. He could have walked the other way, but he didn't. Jesus went to the cross himself to carry out the will of his Father. See, the big point is that we trust God. We trust his sovereign hand. Let's always do that. But we must, as his people, take human responsibility for our spiritual walk, for our spiritual health. We must. We must. The two go hand in hand. Back to Psalm 119. Look at verse 26. The psalmist writes, I give an account to you, God. I've declared my ways to you. Human responsibility. From being in the dust, he comes before God and he says, I've, I've given an account to you, God. I've gotten my face before you. I have confessed anything that's within me. When was the last time you did that before the Lord? When was the last time we took great responsibility to come before the Lord in confession? Say, God, you know what? I've messed up. I feel far from you. I'm so sorry. Coming back to your heart. See, the psalmist does that. He, he confesses. He gives an account of himself before God as if God didn't already know. Then we read in verse 27. Look at what it says there. He says, I, I will meditate on your, on your wonderful works. You sense the responsibility there? I will meditate on your wonderful works. I'm going to go to your word. I will meditate, God on your wonderful works. It's not like I'm going to hear just a, a sound system kick in and you're just going to let it play in the background. He says, I'm going to meditate on your word, your wonderful works. I'm going to go there. I'm going to open the pages and listen for your voice. Then he says in verse 30, I have chosen the way of faithfulness and truth. I have gone there, God. I'm choosing your ways. Verse 31, he says, I hold fast. I cling to your testimonies. I cling to your promises. And then verse 32, I will run. I'm going to run in the path of your commands. Can you sense the human responsibility? He trusts in God, the sovereign hand of God, but you know what? He's taking great responsibility for his own life. I'm going to meditate, God. I'm going to choose faithfulness. I'm going to hold fast. I'm not going to let go of you. I'm going to hold to your promises. I'm going to cling to them. And I'm going to run. I'm going to run in the path 
of your commands, the path that you have for me. Great intentionality from the psalmist's heart. And the important thing is this. See, this is the path to spiritual renewal and revival. From the dust to delight. We trust in the sovereign hand of God, but we take great responsibility to pursue him with all that we have. There's a beautiful thought that I want to share just as we close. It's from the New King James Version. I think I'm going to move to this. I'll probably not, but in this moment, it's so good. In the New King James Version, listen to how it puts verse 32. Psalmist writes, I will run the course of your commandments for you shall enlarge my heart. You shall enlarge my heart. Who wants to have their heart enlarged? I want my heart enlarged in the ways of the Lord. That's the path from the dust to delight in Him. Somehow our heart gets bigger. Somehow we grow inside. We sense the magnitude and the beauty, the splendor of God, and our heart grows. Our heart grows. We know that we couldn't do life without him. We delight in the Lord. I could preach all day. So, oh my goodness, it's 20 past 12. I'm so sorry. Let's stand together. <laughs> I have another 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> I'm going to cut this short for your sake. We're going to sing in a moment. We're not going to rush out of here. We're going to sing, okay? We're going to respond to the Lord in song. We're going to lift our voices. We're going to praise God in the delight of who he is and what it means to know him. I want you to delight in him. I want you to delight, delight in the Lord. Um, I just want to say something just as we prepare to sing. Do you know that this church was established in 1657? I hope I've got that right. Yes, I can see it from here, 1657. A worshiping community of God's people has been here for all of those years. A worshiping community gathering here, serving God in the local community for nearly four centuries. I just want to say that's a sovereign work of God, isn't it? Throughout all that's happened, I'm sure, over the last nearly 400 years, it's a sovereign work of God. We praise him for that. We praise God for the life and the witness of his church here over the last near 400 years. We thank God. Praise God for Carmony Church. Thank you, Lord, for, for that witness. It's amazing. In a generation when things come and go, when things are here today, gone tomorrow, when churches come and go, let's be honest, nearly 400 years, it's not going to stop. Praise God for his faithfulness over the centuries. It's a sovereign work of God, but you know, over the years, human beings, human beings like you, like me, have taken great responsibility, haven't they? To seek the Lord, to pray to meet, to not give up meeting week in and week out, to intentionally raise up the next generation in the faith. It's not a big part of what we want to see. You young people in the room want to see you raised up, running for Jesus, 
your heart bigger than it's ever been because you know, you know in your heart that delight is found in his name. We want to see the next generation raised up. We want this thing to keep going. Another four centuries, although I believe the Lord will have returned by then, but we're going to keep going. We're going to keep going. And so as we pause in this moment, we're going to sing, but Heavenly Father, in this moment, we pause and we thank you for your sovereign faithfulness, your goodness in our lifetime, but over the centuries. You are faithful forever, faithful forever. And you are sovereign over us. But Lord God, we also take great responsibility to walk in your ways, to seek your face, to delight in your name, and to worship you in the splendor of your holiness. We do that now. We respond. We take responsibility, Heavenly Father, to worship you. We pray that you would be glorified and magnified as we sing and lift our voices to you. Lead us, Spirit of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.